Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today is Daniel McAdams, our favorite co-host. Uh, oh, I'll be in trouble. We, Monday uh, through Thursday. Yeah, <laughs> very good. Yes, and yeah. we're all set to go. And uh, we're going to talk about, you know, in general, we're talking about foreign policy in a specific manner. The chaos created in the Middle East. In the Middle East, of course, we've been there before. Remember, after 9/11, we're going to remake the Middle East. It was it was because they had taken over Iraq. So the first thing we have to do is invade Iraq and Afghanistan yeah. and all that nonsense. So the foreign policy problems have been around for a long time, and uh, yet right now we have a real mess. It seems to be more messy than ever and more dangerous than generally speaking. Uh, they haven't pointed the nukes yet, but they're capable of it. At least the threat is out there. We have submarines floating around Iran and telling them you better behave because we can take care of you. And uh, so, so there, there's been a lot of that, but uh, the, big, the big thing is uh, the, the fight between the uh, Israelis and uh, the Palestinians. And, and that's been going on for a long time. I think the mess basically, and we'll be talking about this, is the main reason that this has happened and why we're involved is uh, not the fault of the Palestinians, not the fault of Israeli, it's the fault of uh, the people who have managed our foreign policy and uh, pretended that our moral responsibility was to maintain an empire. And uh, we've been doing that, especially since World War II. And they said, well, we haven't had another world war. Well, they keep working on it, and they've killed a lot of people in the meantime. And right now, I think more people have lost confidence. It used to be that there was confidence about bipartisanship would, would actually uh, be, be helpful. And in the old days, that's what they used to do, at least for, for symbolism. If there was a major crisis, a lot of times uh, the president, if it was a Democrat, would have a consultation uh, you know, with a former president that might be Republican, just to say, you know, we're together on this, and that occurred. But this, this is not what's happening today. It's, it's just the building of this. And uh, they, they have bipartisanship, but it's always bipartisanship to undermine yeah. the, an American foreign policy. And uh, this has led to a lot, a lot of problems. Uh, it's encouraged the military, and comp, comp, uh, military industrial complex to, to, to grow in power and uh, it uh, has taught generations now that interventionism is a moral uh, issue and it, it, the morality is on the sides of us assuming responsibility uh, for intervening and being the policeman of the world and that it is noble to have a, uh, an empire that is dedicated to good and justice and uh, it's out of control and it's reflecting on what's here at home and I'll tell you what, there's a lot of chaos right here, but it is definitely related to the principle of interventionism. And in this case that we're going to be talking about interventionism overseas. How long are we doing it? When are we going to quit? Uh, when are we even going to identify it? And uh, that's where the real struggle is. And uh, of course, uh, we cannot accept, uh, accept uh, and, or expect our universities to straighten things out, especially when 
so much harm has come from the wisdom of the great universities and uh, the conflict there. So I, I would say that uh, we have to do our best because we're dedicated to trying to sort this out and suggest to people that there's a different way of doing this. And it's, it's not expensive. What's expensive is this crazy stuff going on now, just this foreign policy. So we want to talk more specifically, though, what's going on. It doesn't look like there's much encouragement. It looks like there's more friction than ever. But we want to start <coughs> off with this, uh, <coughs> this issue that was in Politico. U.S. diplomats slam Israel's policy in leaked uh, memo. And I was asking you later, what do you think? Is this, uh, is this a, a leaked animo, uh, a memo on, uh, uh, on purpose? Or is it a, is it a memo that uh, is p pretend the secret and the information getting out? But it does give, you, give us information and some of it you can rely on because it's just introducing, you know, the floundering. They have no goals in. They don't know what's happening. And no wonder things are getting worse. And the worse it gets over there, the deeper we get involved militarily, financially, and the whole mess. So uh, it will come to an end. Let's just hope we can get and, and contribute to something positive about what the substitute has to be. And it's not the principle of interventionism and empire. Yeah, I mean, I think this, you're right, this does show that it's not a wise idea to tie U.S. foreign policy too closely with a, with a foreign country. You know, whether it's Ukraine, it's been Israel for many decades, it's not such a great idea. Uh, you know, you have this question, well, is the U.S. Israel's proxy or is Israel the U.S.'s proxy? Yeah. Um, but whatever <clears throat> the case, one thing we know is that Biden has been botching everything since the attacks of October 7th. Because his, you know, his team's, it probably wasn't his idea, but his team's initial great idea was, I'm going to go over there. Of course, I'm going to meet with Netanyahu first. I'm going to give them my condolences after that horrific attack. I'm going to give them the green light to do whatever they think it needs. And then to balance it out, I'm going to meet with all these Arab countries. We're going to have a summit. We're going to have a nice time. <coughs> I'm going to look like I'm the equal person here. Well, it didn't, it didn't turn out that way. You know, you had the, the bombing of the hospital that was blamed on Israel. Uh, and the Arab countries said, we don't want to meet with you. We don't want to have a summit with you. You're not <coughs> welcome here. Go home. And so you had Biden going home empty-handed, having only met with Netanyahu and giving him a green light. So it gave the impression that it's even more one-sided than it actually is. You know, and so that is botching it from square one. And if you put on this uh, first <coughs> clip, as you point out, Politico has an article today or yesterday about how U.S. diplomats slam Israel policy in leaked memo. So State Department, now the State Department has a back channel for a dissent channel, and it's nothing unusual. It happens a lot. You have a lot of analysts, or you have political appointees, and you have analysts who are there uh, on a GS scale, right? And some of those tend to be more experts. I don't want to bore everyone with too many details, but a lot of these people work on these issues for a lifetime. Uh, and so if you dissent against the policy of your administration, you have the ability to write a dissent memo without any retribution, or at least theoretically, without any retribution saying, hey, I don't think this is the best policy. And then you'll have colleagues sign on to it. It's a very normal thing, uh, and it happens a lot, but this one was leaked, as you suggest, and it says a few things. Let's just look at a couple of things that it says, Dr. Paul. So the next one, um, and I call it a blistering critique. We haven't seen the memo, so I don't know what that means. Uh, but it's a critique of the Biden administration's handling of the Israel-Hamas war 
in a dissent memo arguing that the U.S. should be willing to publicly criticize the Israelis. Go to the next one. Um, now, here are the two key requests of the memo. The U.S. support a ceasefire and that it balances private and public messages, messaging toward Israel, including airing criticisms of Israeli military tactics and treatment of Palestinians that the U.S. generally prefers to keep private. Um, the gap between America's private and public messaging, quote, contributes to regional public perceptions that the U.S. is a biased and dishonest actor, which at best does not advance and at worst harms U.S. interests worldwide. So that's what you have in this memo. And they go on to concede that, of course, Israel has a legitimate right and obligation to seek justice against, the, uh, against Hamas for the 1,400 dead. But, and here's that next clip, it argues the extent of human lives lost thus far is unacceptable. I mean, the disproportionality is so massive, Dr. Paul, when you have 1,400, that's a terrible tragedy, but then you kill over 10,000 and 4,000 of them are children, you've got this disproportionality. So I think what the State Department experts are saying is, look, you're not going to be able to do foreign policy because you're not perceived as an actor who can bring people together like the U.S. has been in the past. You're considered to be a cheerleader for one side, and it makes you ineffective. And I think that's a pretty solid message. You know, the, <clears throat> the uh, conflict has been going on for a long time, many decades. <clears throat> and we've been intervening, pretending that we uh, are the arbiter uh, and we can settle this. <clears throat> but the thing of it is that what we do, we end up pretending that we can satisfy both sides. <clears throat> And you can't do that. All that does is antagonize and make things much worse. And they might one day start to think, well, maybe this is an impossible foreign policy. Maybe we can't satisfy both sides. Maybe, matter of fact, why don't we satisfy the people in this country that are now waking up to the fact too many wars. I mean, it, it isn't just Israel that confuses people. Yeah. Look how long they went a couple of years spending all the hundred billions of dollars in Ukraine and, and then they finally wake up. But that, that's where the real tragedy is. It just keeps going on and on and they don't look back at that. And we, have, we send over diplomats and they're supposed to do this. And then it's just about impossible to satisfy both sides. In this political argument, uh, article, it says, the Biden team has increasingly shifted, who would have guessed, its public messaging to emphasize the importance of safeguarding civilians and following international law. You know, we care about that. But he has largely avoided direct criticism of Israeli actions. So, you, you know, they, they have a bundle there. And you might say, well, you know, this is all they have to work with, and there's probably some decent people there hoping that they can contribute to working out peace. But I think it's one of these situations that you, you, you can't stop a fire with the gasoline. Yeah. You know, it, it, it gets worse, especially under the circumstances that have existed in, in the Middle East. And that hasn't been, a, a lot of times I date things from having gotten worse after after the UN got involved after World War II. But uh, there, there's been struggles in that area for religious and political, all kinds of reasons, for a long time. So this idea that we can balance it out by by our diplomats and uh, we'll, we'll send our Secretary of State over there and, and he'll make everything right. Well, our preference would be non-interventionism, which is where we don't tell them what to do. We don't tell them what their messaging should be. We don't give them any money. 
and I, I and I know that you probably would say this that if we had not if we had followed our non-interventionist foreign policy, we would not be having this war in the Middle East right now. That's I think right. that's. That's pretty obvious. But if you do take on, if you do decide, hey, we're going to be the referee, we're going we're gonna to be out there, we're going to bring everyone together, you can't do that and at the same time be so completely one-sided that nobody with a half a brain can't see transparently through you that you're on this guy's side. So how can you, how can you be a referee? I mean, so you, complete, you have a completely ineffective foreign policy, and in fact, you start becoming the laughing stock of the region and you become disrespected and that's if you go on the next clip that's exactly what's happened uh, with Blinken he just took a trip over there and literally at every stop he was treated so badly disrespected so much uh, laughably so here's the here's one meeting we talked about this yesterday he went and he sat and he met with the Iraqi Prime Minister now we thought that we fixed that country and liberated it and they love us and they do whatever we said well it didn't happen that way. This is from the Daily Caller. I'll go back once, please. Um, Iraqi Prime Minister meets with Iranian leadership and praises Hamas one day after meeting with Blinken. So go to the next one. So Blinken rolls into town. He has a little visit with the Iraqi Prime Minister and says, hey, here's what we need you guys to do. You've got to crack down on these people shooting <laughs> rockets into our bases. You've got you, you to don't be so one-sided toward Iran. You got to do all these things. And uh, Al Sudani says, sure, sure. The Iraqi Prime Minister says, sure, sure, whatever. As soon as Blinken leaves, he calls up his buddies over in Iran and says, hey, let's get together. You're not going to believe what Blinken was trying to tell me to do. I mean, it's just, it's almost comical. Yeah, it, it, the big question is, do they have a strategy? Yeah. Well, and if they do, where's their brain? <laughs> you, yeah. you know, which goes on and on. But uh, the tragedy is, is that the world has uh, gone through this type of thing many, many times, and it always ends badly most of the time. And that is that they just run out of people to kill, and they run out of ammunition. But you know now it's it's unique. They run out of ammunition, so they use up ours, and then we have to, you know, replenish our weapons. At the same time, we're out of money, but. It's the age of uh, fiat. Yeah. Uh, there's the, the, the biggest con job in the history of mankind has been the fiat uh, ability of our dollar running the, running the empire, which, which is coming to an end. And that's another thing that's thrown in there. And, uh, but it's also helping to wake up the American people. You know, they're, they're saying, why are we doing this? And we have more and more of the conservative progressives saying, you know, how, how, many, how many more dollars do we have to send into Ukraine? And, and now we have resistance uh, even to sending money to Israel for various reasons. And uh, there will be a limit, but it won't be because people have become more moral. <laughs> I, think, yeah. I think they're running out of the ability. They, they're running out of soldiers and they're running out of money to buy weapons. And uh, that's, uh, uh, that doesn't guarantee peace, but it gives an opportunity. If that's what's happening and they can't afford this war, we better start talking a lot more about understanding what non-intervention is. And they say, oh, that could lead to chaos. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think we have a little bit of chaos here now with interventionism. Yeah, absolutely. Well, continuing on, the, the, the Blinken Smackdown tour was uh, his trip to Israel because he goes over there, he meets with Netanyahu, he says, 
and we talked about it yesterday. Listen, baby, I need you to take humanitarian pause on this bombing. You're killing way too many civilians. Uh, it's looking bad for us. Can you just kind of wait for a few minutes? And Netanyahu says, no, forget it, take a hike. <laughs> and so then Biden, uh, Blinken comes back and says, well, um, and actually you can put up this next clip if you get over there. Um, so then he says, well, um, he also says, well, we also know that Israel cannot reassume control and responsibility for Gaza. It's important to note that Israel has made it clear that it has no intention or desire to do that. And if you go forward, and then literally the next day, he says, Netanyahu says, we're going to control it indefinitely. So, so Blinken goes over there and says, Israel has no intention of controlling Gaza. Don't worry. The next day, Netanyahu says, we're going to control Gaza. So he's, he's, literally, he's literally almost invisible in these places he yeah, goes to. Yeah, and, uh, well, at least the, the clout of the United States is practically invisible. It's yeah. being diminished, and that's a heck of a way to get a plus, you know. <laughs> you know. But, uh, no, I think uh, since we don't believe in empire, we don't believe in force and uh, violence in order to bring about one's idea about what the world should be like, and if there is a struggle, it should be dealt with the people most involved. So if there's a struggle, matter of fact, in a way, it was much more independent under the Levant where every country and, and the Jews and, and, and nobody wants to talk about it. But when it, it was government, because a lot of people lived in, you know, four or five different countries, the Jews lived there, there were, there were Muslims living there. And people describe you know, it was so different. Yeah. You, you know, there wasn't this antagonism. It's the, uh, it's the globalist approach to government. And uh, this was attempted and introduced, this whole thing was introduced way back in 1917. But then, it, then after World War II, oh, we finally got our United Nations going. Uh, the United Nations, you know, accelerated the conflict in, in the Middle East and said, oh, we'll teach those Americans uh, and Truman says, yeah, we, this whole idea about declaring war, we don't need to do that. But the globalist approach to this and the invitation to get control of the international uh, you know, uh, organization has, has led to this. But because we had the seeds of an empire, you know, we jumped at the opportunity. And you know what? If you, if, if you ever said what I just said in public, yeah. <laughs> you know, what you are is you're un-American. You don't care. You know, you don't care about real freedom. We're, we're going to, because you guys would just lead to a lot of chaos and anarchy. Well, if you want to see anarchy, yeah. go visit San Francisco and yeah. L.A. and yeah. a couple other cities. You need a shower after that. <laughs> well, he also, I, he also, Blinken uh, uh, also went to Turkey, and we, we did talk about that as well yesterday. Um, but it's interesting. So he went to Turkey. He wanted to meet with Erdogan. Put this next uh, clip up. He wanted to meet with with the, with with Erdogan. Go go forward one. And this is uh, Sprinter X on Twitter posted this from uh, uh, the. the um, the Figaro, the, the big French conservative newspaper, Erdogan has closed his door on Blinken. U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, Anthony Blinken had hoped in vain for a meeting with President Recep Tayyip Erdogan. As a result, he had to be content with communicating with Foreign Minister uh, Fidan and fly away a few hours. So he's, he rolls in. No one meets him at the airport. We talked about that yesterday. 
it's like you know the third in command of the of the public works services or whatever comes to meet him. He gets there. He wants to meet with President Erdogan. He says no. Erdogan is up there uh, in Ankara hanging out. Doesn't want to meet with him. And in fact, Craig Murray, who was the uh, British ambassador uh, to Kyrgyzstan, I believe it was, he had a tweet on it. If you go to the next one about what happened, he recognized. He says, in terms of diplomatic practice. Turkey's decision not to greet Blinken at the airport and not to see him off there is a very strong rebuke. In 22 years as a diplomat, I never saw such a precedent. So that is incredible. I won't read the last part, sort of funny, but go to the next one and here's it. While he was there, they were actively trolling him. Now here's a picture of him sitting with the foreign minister. Diplomatic insult. Turkey trolling U.S. Secretary Blinken during the visit, Ankara placed a replica of the Al-Aqsa Mosque on the table next to Blinken during his meeting with the Turkish foreign minister, forcing Blinken to have his photo taken next to it for all the world to see. Uh, that is so clearly symbolic, and you can see how awkward Blinken is looking sitting next to a replica of the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Um, and uh, so anyway, that, that kind of takes care of his trip to the Middle East. That, that doesn't bode well for a uh, good outcome. Yeah. At the end, how are they going to get together now? And who's going to run Gaza? Why don't they let the people who live there decide yeah. how to yeah. do it? Something, something odd like that, rather than thinking that everybody gets their axe to grind and go out there and they're going to organize and uh, we'll get our authority from uh, the globalist organization and the UN can sort it out. And the military industrial complex can make sure that everybody has a job, yeah. you know, that, that kind of thing. So uh, finding out exactly who's going to run it, I, I don't think it's going to be very easy to, to decide because it's going it's to be up for grabs. And we already see the argument, you know, between our government and, and Netanyahu, yeah. you know. Uh, and, but, but, you know, somebody said, well, Netanyahu doesn't seem to be very cooperative. Mm -hmm. Somebody said, well... Why don't we just say you either do it or your your allowance is cut. Yeah, exactly. You don't get any more allowance. <laughs> you, you don't get any more of your four billion dollars a year. Or that fourteen billion they're trying to give them. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing that happened to Blink. By the way, I almost forgot is he met with a group of of, uh, of Arab leaders, um, uh, the Jordanians and the UAE and a few others, and he said, "Okay, guys, I've got a great idea." Uh, after this, uh, we, what we need to do is you guys need to put some peacekeepers into Gaza. And they said, are you crazy? <laughs> We're not going to do that. You know, that's the stupidest idea we've ever heard of. We want a ceasefire. People are getting killed. And you're talking about something four or five steps away. Just get out of here. You know, I mean, it's just he's not he's not thinking about what anyone is thinking about. And I think it reflects that reflects a little bit on some of the polls we've been talking about, about uh, Biden not looking that great uh, in the polls. And actually, you can put that next one up because this is a new YouGov poll. Um, yeah, here we go, Dr. Paul. So for president, Trump is up three, 51% to 48 in Biden. Among independents, very important, he's up by 10 percentage points, 54 to 44. And he's so far ahead of DeSantis on the GOP race that you can basically put a fork in that race despite the surging Haley, right, the <laughs> surging Nikki Haley. But anyway, look, so I think it's reflected here in these polls that uh, Biden is not getting good marks uh, on his foreign policy. 
Well, you know, the, the big crowds that are getting out and demonstrating, they, they have impressed me because I was surprised. I wouldn't have predicted they would be so big. I would have predicted and said, you don't, you don't take on Israel like yeah, this, you yeah. know. And that to me <coughs> indicates that there, was, there has been a, a lot of smoldering resentment. It has been building and it's just not by a few Palestinians uh, because it's, it's been there. But uh, it's a mixed bag because, you know, you know, you can take some radical progressives who wouldn't be, maybe rarely they would be on our side, but you take that group and they might identify, you know, with, uh, uh, with the Palestinians, it, but it's, it's very narrow. And then there's the others that would uh, do it from a more constitutional and a, a libertarian viewpoint and say, you know, we, we just sh shouldn't be doing this. But the demonstrations are huge. Oh, yeah. I mean, it isn't like a couple hundred people here and there. And, uh, and, and that's, uh, that is, that is uh, to me, very, very strange. Uh, I, I thought the resentment would be there. Matter of fact, I have a lot of mixed feelings about that, but, but maybe there is going to be more balance. But uh, I'm afraid that might be just the sign of the acceleration, what's been there, and uh, the resentment is coming out, and maybe the hostility is going to get much worse. Because the big thing that would be the, to <clears throat> really accelerate this mess would be if, uh, if more countries get involved, you know, Lebanon and Iran and, yeah. and all, all these other, other countries that get involved. But, uh, and, and that, is, that is likely, but we're, we're, uh, we're messed up in all those countries. It's, uh, it, it, uh, very often we have to be on both sides of everything. Yeah. And then we wonder why there's chaos arguing and fighting over who gets the food stamps. Yeah. <laughs> Well, on the demonstrations, I think there was 100,000 in D.C. That's a big demonstration, uh, you know, for Palestine. And, you know, the pro-Israel people will say, oh, a bunch of people came out and demonstrated for Hamas. Well, that's not true. There weren't, I didn't see any signs for Hamas. But, you know, what we would say is non-interventionists. They say, well, are you going to demonstrate for Israel or demonstrate for Palestine? No, I want to demonstrate for America. <laughs> you know, neither. I'm on neither side. And that's not like one of the options we can check off in yeah, the survey. You know, what, what's so complicated or mean or nasty about, you know, looking after our, ourselves, which means that we don't steal from the American people and send uh, money to the uh, arms industry to send yeah. weapons all around the world and cause these wars. And, uh, and yet it isn't like, no, you can't stand for up for Israel. Sure, of course you can. You know, uh, Golda Meir, the first time she came over here uh, for help after their independence, she, it was, they, she came for donations from the people who sympathized. Yeah. And they were able to, but <clears throat> didn't take long for it to shift to be a government thing. So whether, you know, there's a lot, I don't know what the number is for Palestinians in this country. There's, they probably outnumber the Jews right yeah. now. Oh. That if, if they want to help, send over the help, but at your own risk, yeah. you know. Uh, and this, uh, this, this to me sounds like it's an easier way to do it. You don't take away the freedom of people who support. They can send their dollars or whatever they want. I have the one exception on that. If you have a legitimate invasion of this country or or a threat to this country and it was seen that you should have a a, a declaration of war uh, i can understand strategically yeah. you don't say well oh no if if, uh, if if the fascists march in you you can't fight them or something yeah. like that no there, there's ways to draw a line but the lines they draw today have nothing to do with reality yeah 
Well, I'm going to close out. I think we've exhausted uh, our time <laughs> limitations. Um, um, the Biden administration's policy is in shambles in the Middle East, uh, and it's a danger for all of us, I think. Um, but I'll just close by thanking all of our viewers. Please hit like if you're watching the show right now. Please subscribe if you're not subscribed. Make some comments. Let us know what you think. Let us know where we're off or if you agree. We always like your input and feedback. We talk about it off camera, so we appreciate that as well. I'll turn it back over to you, Very Dr. Very good. Paul. And uh, the uh, group, the Responsible Statescraft, had sort of a summary of what we've been talking here and why there's so much danger. And their headline to the, them summating it is, uh, U.S. is barreling toward another war in the Middle East. Well, the war is going on. And I think what you, when you read this, it's a, a big one, you know, a big war. And that, that to me is uh, so unnecessary. But I don't think they even deal with it, and there's so few in Washington that will entertain the, the, to entertain the argument and debate and uh, an explanation or look for somebody teaching this. Sure, there are libertarians and there's constitutionalists and there are progressives who believe in the basic principle of non-intervention, us minding our own business and working hard to get along with people, believing that free trade is a benefit to bringing people together. We had a little bit of a boost on that at the end of the Cold War, but I was so disappointed. You know, he eventually just quit because of our policy, because of NATO. Uh, they, they got involved and, and uh, created an enemy, uh, you know, with the Russians again, and then also with China. It just goes on and on. So that, that to me is a real tragedy. But the principle of, uh, you, you know, the principle that people use is bipartisanship. But, you know, right now we have, uh, uh, a foreign affairs committee in the Senate that uh, Michael McCall and, and uh, Meeks, uh, Meeks is the uh, minority uh, uh, leader in, uh, in the committee, and they're bosom buddies. I mean, they don't agree, disagree with anything that I remember of, and so it is bipartisanship. People think bipartisanship you know, solves the problem. I think it makes it worse. I think each side has to give up something they believe in, and there's no principle left. Each one, you know, you, when you do that, uh, you give up. If, if you take a, a, a budget and you, you're able to uh, reduce it by 10% and call it a victory, well, what are they doing some monstrous thing like fighting a war? Oh, well, we reduced it by $10 billion because we padded it and made it too big, and it looks like we've cut something. No, that, 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 that doesn't work. And that's what we have to, uh, you, you know, get people to understand. And uh, when I went to a lot of the universities and talked to a lot of young people of all political factions, they seem to understand that much better than if you go to a town where they build weapons, <laughs> there wasn't as much reception there. But there's no reason in the world that we can't ignore some of the good things happening because I think there are a lot of people who are waking up. I cite the fact that uh, people did wake up finally after the lockdown on COVID, but we have a long way to go because there's a lot of people out there that have been brainwashed into believing that you have to have government to solve the problem. People say, oh, if you have no government, you have chaos. Look at the chaos we, we have already. The chaos is there. Oh, there'll be no government 
government at all. No, you have self-government. You have local government. You have spiritual governors, governance. You don't have the uh, dependency that is required to get your share of the loot by doing, uh, doing exactly what the government tells us. And that becomes, you know, a, a nation of zombies. Well, the government says you should take 15 booster shots because the flu is coming. That nonsense that goes on, just propaganda. And then if you check, if you criticize it, then they go after you and you take your medical license away from you just because you want to have a discussion. So I, I think the principles of liberty are not difficult to understand. It's very clear cut and the benefit from it is so overwhelming compared to the authoritarianism that comes with the people who say, I know what's best for you. Well, I think there should be a position that we understand that I don't know what's best for you, but I want you to make up your own mind, but don't hurt anybody. Don't steal from anybody and mind your own business and we'll mind our own business. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.